Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. On this episode of Courageous Wellness, we sit down with Tina Marie Clark. Tina Marie is the author and creator of the Shift Stir Method, a five-step mindfulness method to get our shit together and shift our perception. Tina's path as a shift stir traces back to her roots. Raised in Section 8 housing by a single mother, she felt branded by her circumstances and struggled with a persistent sense of shame and an all-consuming feeling of other. These thoughts and feelings were overwhelming and at times debilitating. To the outside world, she presented an entirely different person, fierce, defensive, and combative. This was her family's code of honor and most deeply held belief that if they were feared, no one could hurt them. On this episode, we have a deep discussion about Tina Marie's personal journey and how to apply the shift stir method to create radical transformation in our own lives. Tina Marie also curates conversations for others to share their own stir stories, leading them to deeper connections with self and the world around them. We are grateful to Tina Marie for sharing her beautiful and empowering story and hope it inspires you as we enter the new year. Today's episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. Erica and I discovered Ned when co-founder Adrian Zimmerman was a guest on our show. We were both really impressed with the products after trying them. One of the things that really stood out to both of us was the transparency of the brand. Ned actually shares third-party lab results, who their farmers are, and details of the extraction process directly with their consumers. We strive to be informed consumers, and Ned makes the process really accessible. I have become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's natural cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. So Erica, what's your favorite? My favorite Ned product is definitely their full spectrum hemp oil and I personally use the 750 milligram tincture. When I consistently take it, I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood. In addition to the tincture, I also really love applying the hemp-infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed. It helps me relax, soothes aches and pains, and allows me to wind down at the end of the day. 
Ned is also now offering an immunity blend tincture that we are consistently taking. This blend naturally supports our immune system and combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are also donated to EcoHealth Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their products and their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash CW podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you and have you share your beautiful story with our listeners. Um, so to start things off, can you share with us your personal journey and how it led you to the work that you currently do? Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure and such a nice little surprise. I was in my flow with uh, doing a Q&A on Instagram and to be able to slide in in the current of being in conversation with other women and other listeners that are on a journey of self-exploration and, and wellness is just something that lights me up. So I'm just excited to be jamming out with your people. Um, I would say that my I would, even the word wellness, I don't even necessarily identify as like something, it is wellness, but for me, my journey really started, if I could say one thing about how I turned inward was my inspiration came out of my desperation. I was riddled and learned and inherited a lot of shame, shame around money, shame about worth, about value, about who I was as a human, uh, who I, who we were as a family. We were, we grew up below poverty level. We were in section eight housing and we lived in a normal, very um, middle-class community, but the Delta and the disparity between, I think us and them felt really vast at that time. I, my mom was uh, a single mother by the age of, or she had three kids by the age of 21. So she was super young, spunky, hot, loved short shorts and drove her like, you know, crazy car up to carpool. And there's these other moms in like, you know, their 
you know, turtleneck sweaters or, or turtlenecks with sweaters over top of it. And my mom's wearing like, you know, really, really high shorts and is hot and has these three young kids, no dad in the picture. So we just looked really different. I felt like we were the Adams family of our town. And I just inherited and, and experienced and perceived situations uh, that really accumulated a tremendous amount of shame. I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of my upbringing. I became a compulsive liar. I like people drop me off at other people's houses just so I didn't have to experience the shame of living in the home that we did. It was just dilapidated and very dirty. My mom did her best and did such an amazing job, but with three kids, it was just like her last priority was keeping her home clean. So we could never have anybody over. It just, it felt as though, um, which it has now been revealed to me as such an incredible gift that I had, but I, it was very us against them mentality. So it was me and my two brothers and my mom. So we were this unit and we were this fierce unit that was, that had learned these behaviors and these coping mechanisms to be feared. That was like our code of honor between our family. It was like, okay, we're not going to be the sports kids. We're not going to be the popular kids. We're not going to be the, you know, mathematicians of this. Well, we could definitely be the rough and tumble Clark kids that everybody's afraid of. We can live up to that because they already expect us to be bad. They weren't going to like us to begin with. We didn't fit into the mold. So at least let's give them, at least protect ourselves in the process. Mm. So I think that my family and I accumulated a lot of weaponry, emotional weaponry to defend ourselves from people, to keep them at a distance. And that worked so well up until it didn't. And when life started happening and I, I got into a professional role, I always wanted to be a model. I, I knew I was a model since I was really young and like really young. Like I, I was like wearing, you know, crazy outfits at the age of two. I just knew I, that's where I could like shine. I, and my personality was very extra. So where else would an extra child want to be? A catwalk. So uh, there I was starting my modeling career and that my default defenses, that behavior became really inappropriate and not okay for a professional setting. So mm -hmm. I almost lost my dream by really just going off the deep end. And I don't mean just being like nasty. I mean, I was combative. I was in and out of alternative schools for beating people up, throwing chairs. Like I was a wild, I, I felt like I was feral. Mm. Like I was like just raised by, not raised by wolves because my mom is an incredible mom, but I was just, we were feral and we just it was just a different upbringing and we had these coping skills. So they didn't work anymore. And I started to realize that no matter where I was, no matter what circumstance, if it was at a job, if it was with a girlfriend, with a partner at the time, I was the common denominator. Mm. It was always somehow, I was always repeating these same narratives. 
and I was always experiencing the same feelings and you could put it on any person or any surface or any circumstance, but it was always the same feeling. And that's when I really started to do, and I would speak to my mom and my mom is on this path and is, has been a lifelong seeker. So it's been so, um, such a blessing, like a fundamental blessing to have a mother that's willing to work the work with you. My mom is, is in the trenches. We're sitting shoulder to shoulder in our stuff, working the method that we, you know, created over time. It, the method had gone unmethodized for many years. It was just what we did. Mm-hmm. So there we go. We're, I, I'm talking to my mom and she would always, I, I would tell her stories and she she would listen to me with such empathy and so much like I knew she would listen with so much empathy and I could see that it would land in her but she would always end the conversation with the same question and the same or the same statement and this statement was both infuriating and liberating but she would say to me I know you think this is about X. I know you think this is about him. I know you think this is about her. I know you think this is about your boss, but I promise you, this is about you. And I would be so pissed because I'd be like, I just laid out this body of evidence proving that I'm right. And all I want you to do right now is just to confirm that I'm right. But she would always invite me and point me back to myself in what was going on, what was really going on. Because it was so easy for me. It was always externalization. It was always everyone else's fault. And that is such a, when I think of like siphoning power and draining your energy, when that mentality is a part of your like hardwiring at that time, it's just debilitating because you're at any course in the, any time in the day, you can just be extracted. Energy can be extracted from you. And I was just living an exhausted life and I knew there had to be a different way. So I started seeking and continuing my journey. And then I started getting a lot of momentum where I was like, wait, this is, this is something, Mm. this is really, this is something like, this is not just me being like, oh, this is cool. Or, oh, this is like, you know, do you remember when the secret came out? Like, I remember being like dying over the secret and being like, oh my God, that's like the, whatever it was. And I still believe in the secret. And I, I love that. But I remember being the uh, observer of the secret. And I remember one of the things that I felt was missing in the secret was and what was applicable for me was I could always attract things I could just never keep them because my limited belief system would sabotage anything good in my life because wherever you go there you are and even if my circumstances changed on the outside I was still like I I still had chaos in my mind so I when I started uh, exploring and really applying these principles, I knew. And so I was simultaneous, simultaneously modeling and having an incredible career and really 
like I hear some other girls, their stories about modeling and I, 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 sometimes or I know that everyone has their journey and has their path but some of those stories I just do not identify with because uh meaning that was not my personal experience these are valid truthful stories but it was such an empowering job for me and I found myself in that job I was tested I was shown if you want to alter or stir up a girl that has shame issues around money make her a model because she'll have to deal with it quickly because there you are in you know uh, organza chanel dress and you are living in poverty and you have to feel and embody that chanel dress so it started this um, embodiment process for me of um, internalizing and making me question uh, the value of things. Uh, what, what, is, what does this dress mean? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to other people? What have I assigned this dress of value? Because it felt so um, big and fancy and not me. And then I started wearing them in work and I just started to have a different relationship with those things and those people and those perceptions that I held so dearly onto to comfort myself, to protect myself, but were no longer serving me and were keeping me from people and connections and jobs that if I kept with those limited beliefs, I would have sabotaged every job I had. Because my ego, I call it my like doppelganger the person that looks like me, sounds like me, and is inside my mind narrating my life, if I let that continue to, you know, make decisions for me, it just, I, I, I know I would be dead in some capacity. I don't know how I would have died, but I would have been dead. I just know that the, the, the level of precision and uh, creativity and, uh, work ethic my doppelganger has it is so good at its job that it would have found multiple ways to kill me in some way I, I, I it could have been road rage it could have been uh, you know getting shot it could have been using drugs like I just was on a path for destruction because it was out of control my mind just said it, it just put me into dangerous positions um, really like when I look back, I, I think like, how did I survive? How, how did I not die? Like, how was I spared? Because I put myself in such compromising positions, so dangerous, so, um, and at, at such a young age, I didn't even have the reverence for the danger. Meaning I was a kid doing really adult things in adult places, you know, extremely, first of all, illegal, inappropriate, and just not okay. And I didn't even have the reverence to even know that it, this is dangerous. I didn't even think of it. So now looking back, I'm like, how did I not die? Like, oh, that time when I left with that guy in that car and oh, oh, when we, you know, when we saw that girl get shot and when we were on 8th and Venango in the city and that could have been our car. When I hear these stories in my mind, they seem so distant because that girl, that girl that was at that time, 
has done and integrated the shifter method into my life to the point where it is hard for me to recall those those aspects of myself and and that time so that was basically my early childhood and my uh, teen years and my uh, modeling years and then I, I call it a dull ache there was a dull ache of of longing and uh, of like knowing that there was something inside of me that needed to be shared and needed to be expressed that I knew that when I was talking, like we're talking right now, talking about the method or talking about, it wasn't even called the method at the time, talking about soul, talking about owning your awful, talking about being vulnerable with yourself, surrendering to your ego's narrative and listening, observing. When I was in conversation with that, I felt like I was like, like able to, I just felt powerful and I felt like I could do that effortlessly. And it was just where I felt my best, my highest version of myself. And I knew that that was there, but I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what this was. What do you even call this? And I was telling someone earlier today, I was like, if, if I could recommend anything for anyone that is not certain about something or a venture that they want to do, I say it's inching. It's uh, an inch. Like I inched towards my, um, what I'm doing now for a year and a half and had no expectation. I had no, wait, Tina Marie Clark is going to be an author and have a method. Are you kidding me? Like I can, I'm grammatically incorrect. I'm like a book are you kidding me? Like I just could have never expected that or anticipated that for myself. But I grew into that inch by inch that those inches accumulated, created such momentum that when I was able to, to listen, I basically received the method and it was like, Oh, you know what you do TM? You're a shift stir. You, you can stir up shifts. Like you, like you're, you know, like you're, they used to call you a shifter, but really you're a shifter. You can stir up shifts. You know how to shift things for you and you can teach people how to shift. So that's how the shifter method was created. And I just love teaching it and talking about it, applying it. And also really uh, in real time, teaching through sharing how I apply the method to this day. There's never a day where I'm not going to have to apply what I teach. I ha This is like a part of it. It's like when you think of an alcoholic, it's like they're an alcoholic for life. Like for me, my ego will be there for my life. So I have to be dedicated to this practice. And this has been the practice that I have found the most beneficial for processing. It's like, this is a complete system. I don't really need to go out. I don't need to search. I can go back even for myself. I'm like, okay, which step am I at? Okay. I'm on the second step. Okay. Now I know where to go. Even for myself, having it segmented in the five steps 
has helped me on my journey just to remind myself, oh, this is the way home. This is, okay, you're starting with a stir, and these are the steps to get you back to be able to see that differently. Uh, the shift stir method is a five-step method to shift your perception. You start out with a stir, which is when your ego has deviated into a negative thought pattern, and then you're going to sit, which is you know uh, not a physical posture. It's an emotional posture, allowing yourself to feel the feeling without reaction outwardly. Then there's the sift, which is sifting through and extrapolating the thoughts underneath the thoughts that the stir created. Meaning you thought when you're, when that guy didn't write you back on your email, you had a litany of thoughts in your mind or one had a litany of thoughts in their mind thinking, oh, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to whatever. I'm 38 and I'm never having kids. Like you just, you know, beat yourself up emotionally in your mind. And then you wonder why you're so furiously writing that text message to write him back. Well, that's your ego. And, and, and when we sift and allow ourselves to get clear on what is actually going on, that's where we find our, our true power. Cause it's never about them. It's really about our narrative and what we've assigned that stir value. We've, we've given it its its charge and its potential to either hurt us or be neutral. So the method is designed to make those things more benign and neutral. It shifts them into um, uh, a more digestible form because sometimes they can just be overwhelming and you, you get that email and you're going into a, you know, a stir storm and there's chaos of brewing and you can't get out of your own way. So this is designed to do that. And the fourth step is the share, which is what we're doing right now. Owning our awful, owning the parts of us that we perceive are unlovable, that we want to reject, that we want to, um, you know, point out in others, the parts of us that we'd rather whisper, the parts of us that we wouldn't want our neighbors to hear or see amongst other women in communion, in a safe space to be like, hey, you know, when my boss doesn't write me back, I just become enraged and I write these horrible emails with this word, this word, this word and own it and be like, whoa, this is my truth. So that's the share. Thank you for sharing your story. It's and, and being so open about it. And I, you know, I have a lot of questions actually. And, um, I do want to go more into the actual method that you've created, which you just started to explain so beautifully. But, um, I'm curious as you're explaining how young you were in, in this new world of modeling and then also in this sort of new world of, of your inner dive of these conversations with your mom of understanding that maybe the journey is, is inward. Um, how did you, after like, I know you were talking about, it took a year and a half to actually build the method or methodize what you had already been practicing. But I'm curious you know, the concept of owning your awful, which is, is really fascinating. How do you, as someone who's raised with um, having so much shame and developing coping mechanisms around the shame, because I think a lot of us have shame um, and we deal with shame and, and create coping mechanisms in all different ways that, that become very, very, like you said, successful and strong. But how do you shift, shift from, 
and I'm sure this is in the method, but I'm just curious, like, or how did you, before you methodized your practice, make the shift from, hey, I have all this shame and armor up around it to being open to this idea of owning your awful without going into a shame spiral around what, what you think owning that awful means about you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It, it's a trial and error thing. Mm-hmm. You will own your awful and regret it. You will own your mm-hmm. awful and love it. You will own your awful a- at different times. And it feel like sometimes I own my awful just for the method. I, the other day I was in a, um, uh, it was so weird. It was like, I, I, I want to have like a book that call is called like where my shame shows up because <laughs> yeah. my shame showed up at the doctor's office. I was going to get a test for my son and I, and I went up to the counter and I, I handed them our three insurance cards and my insurance number got denied. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, Oh, that's so weird. But like, oh, just look at it because I have insurance. But I remember like this feeling rising up in me where I felt like a shift within me. There was a stir and I didn't know what it was because it was light and it wasn't anything palpable, but I was like, or it, it was palpable, but it wasn't like overwhelming. And I was like, oh, something just happened in there. Mm. And I, the lady goes back and she's like, yeah, it's not working. And I remember being like, no, I have insurance. My brain went off into a thousand different things of, oh, oh my God, all these people think I don't have insurance. Oh my God. Like I, I reverted back to my childhood as if I was that five-year-old girl yeah. that was getting, you know, um, like, what was it? I forget what it was called. It wasn't WIC, but it was like, it was government assisted healthcare and you had to like apply for it. And it was this whole process and it was really shameful. And it was like, you had to do it in front of other people. And it was just not um, a good system. And it was really, it just created anxiety in me. So I remember feeling that when I was with this lady and there I am draped in my, like a beautiful coat. I, I drove up in my nice car and there she was, mm-hmm. yeah. that girl, meaning the part of me that still has a little bit. Now, unhealed Tina Marie would have sliced and diced that woman up and like, honey, <laughs> boo-boo kitty, honey, yes. honey, honey, like I have insurance. Don't make me like, whatever. I would have used any type of weaponry to whatever it was. But I remember having the desire to like, uh, like kind of uh, get it, an attitude with her. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like be like, honey, why don't you go back to your computer and check again? Yeah. Because there was my ego saying, put her down because you feel really small right now. Because right. there are some feelings from your past that are coming up and you want to you wanna offload this feeling. Yep. And you think that that's the way you can do it. Yeah. So I did it. And I remember <laughs> listening to it. And I remember just observing it and being like, oh my gosh, like I really, like I really actually cared. Like, meaning I was in, uh, I'm in a city that I, uh, I don't know anybody. I'm new to the area. So it's not like anybody knew me. It was, I brought my shit to yeah. that, that place. 
I brought that there. And that narrative was brought up and it was there for me to look at and say, Hey TM, like there's still like, and, and uh, I can't tell you the Delta between how vast the Delta between, uh, you know, pre shifter method and this, it w- would have been a completely different experience. Yeah. It could have been like, cops called like like i was that wild like i I would have like climbed over and been like let me get up in your computer like i was just wild so even just being the observer of that internal narrative of having the awareness so it really starts with these little micro moments of even noticing that body sensation Mm, yeah like uh, the stir and in the method it really helps you develop that awareness it's like okay well do you hear do you feel it physiologically is it an emotional thing is it do you start biting your nails do you hear like for me it's a hot sensation it like mm-hmm. brushes up it's like kind of like like when you um when you feel like you're falling yeah. like that weird funky feeling i get that when i've been activated when i'm stirring so it's like oh so if I have the awareness that that physical aspect is there, it can really put a little more duration of time in between most of the time before, or and sometimes still to this day, it was like that feeling and reaction. Yeah. Yeah. What, or what it looked like. What, what I didn't realize, and I think a lot of people realize, is how many micro moments we have opportunity to have choice and we don't feel like we do. Because yeah. it feels so reflexive and it, it, it becomes reflexive. Yeah. And comfortable, just, right? Like it's our natural. Automatic. Yeah. This is just what I do. Yeah. This is like I, I turn right there. When I see that red sign, I do this and da da da. It's like your automatic pilot. Your, yeah. I call it my default defenses. My things that when I feel that way, I use these five tools. Yeah. And one could be, you know, somebody could drink, you know, know, a a bottle of wine or eat a dozen donuts or, um, you know, call all of their friends to get them to confirm that their story is right. And that guy's an asshole or, you know, we could all use these skills that we've accumulated to offload our, our disease, like our, our discomfort Mm -hmm. of the stir. Yeah. So we use these things and, and they stop working. And I think that this is the, a pinnacle point, like really an important time in, in life and in culture because of all of the times of all of that I've lived in, we have never had as many points of, of opportunity for stirring. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's just, everything is so uncertain and, and so, um, up in the air and so, uh, financially, emotionally, physically, like I, you really actually cannot quantify the, the, the magnitude of what is going on in the culture right now. Either we could list it off in, in words, but really there's no, it's not unquantifiable. You Mm -hmm. cannot be able to, um, assess that. So if we just go on a, on a personal basis of what one person goes through, it's a lot of upheaval. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been noticing and, and seeing that um, a lot of people, their default defenses are becoming acute mm-hmm. because they normally use them when it was low grade stress, they were using them intermittently or on occasion. But now with this high level of stress, they're using 
these coping skills and they're getting more intense and they're using them more frequently. So what does that mean? If uh, let's just say if a guy has, um, if he thinks, if his ego says to himself that his wife uh, doesn't love him because his mom didn't love him and he thinks his wife is cheating on him and he has that narrative in his mind and is stirring, he may be more apt to, you know, uh, Im- harm her. And uh, there's a dramatic increase in domestic violence. Those are all stirs. Stirs are, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction. It's yeah. like, uh, how are we anesthetizing? our thoughts? How are we calming down our thoughts? How are we treating them? So if if you're treating them with drugs, because you don't want to deal with self, meaning you do, you want to quiet that, the stir stories, you want to quiet the chaos. If you're using all of those things and you're using them uh, more often, we're we're really um, in, this isn't the pandemic to me, mm-hmm. this yeah. like actual physical, I'm, I'm thinking of an emotional pandemic of the Absolutely. accumulation of all of these unchecked stirs and the reactive behavior that creates chaos. And it's a multi-layered, multi-generational inherited thing that we pass down these yeah. sets of, of, of skills. So when I think of the work that um, I get to do, I feel so lucky to be able to talk about it and, and be able to even be in the arena of talking to women about this because I, I, it's potent stuff. And yeah. I don't take it personally. This isn't my stuff. I, I just got to be the, the, the giver of it. I got this somewhere else. Like I, 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 I was a channel for this and I get to work with this magic and seeing it make those shifts in women is, I cannot think of a more rewarding job like yeah. a yeah. woman feeling their power and they did it themselves. I, I didn't do it. I can't go into your mind and have you sit. Yeah. yeah. I can't go into your mind and have you do the work to sift through what's going on. I can't give you the courage to share with your coworker that you're really getting you know, it hurts your feelings when Susie doesn't invite you to the company Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you yeah. share your eight-year-old self that didn't get invited. When you share that, I can't make women do that. But when I get to be in communion with women and teach that and they do it, oh my God, you're like, I, I, I talk about getting high on your own supply. Like I get high on their vibes. Like they are just making huge, like quantum leaps in their evolution when they get the, and harness the power of themselves because it's itself. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean, aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with those red, itchy bumps under my arm on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that I did not smell. 
Milk and Honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps, but also passed the smell test, even after some of LA's toughest workout classes. This is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand. And in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. Somebody asked me, I was doing a Q&A earlier, and they were asking me about, um, what, do you, what would you recommend for confidence? Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, confidence is learning about what's going on with you. So you, about when you don't react, when you're able to have this, not self-control, but the ability to non-reflexively respond versus reacting. Yeah. That's the power. Women get that power. They are like, uh, like it's shot. Like, they, we could do anything of any magnitude. It is impressive to see when women get and harness the power of their authentic power. Yeah. Not some egoic power, not what my job title is, not what my husband is, not what I, what car I drive, what, you know, college I went to, how many kids I have, none of that. I mean, yeah. without all of that, how do you make decisions and how are you either in your world or get shifted out of your world by your own ego. When they harness that power and start lassoing that in, they are like, like your rodeo. You see them kicking butt and you're like, you did that. You, and and they do it. It's, it's also like the way you're describing it too. It's interesting. Erica and I actually both practice a form of Buddhism together. That's how we originally met. And there's a lot of similar, um, sort of like, philosophical points that in a different way, but like that come out of this idea of not like making a cause or, um, taking an action or having a response, but it's not from an auto, like an autopilot pre-programmed, like inner child, whatever part of your, and that's the empowering thing. Cause then you, you consciously rather than unconsciously really get to create and make choices for yourself in a different way. Yeah. An intentional intentional movement. And I describe it as the way that I can describe it is I I remember I had this doctor, his name was Dr. Burns and he would always do all these like physical things. And he, he would always bring out that little tooth thing that was on a stick and he would bang the end of your, your knee. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden your leg would pop up and you didn't know if you'd hit him in the face. You don't know if you'd, you know, kick him in the leg. You didn't know where your leg was going. Yeah. I feel and felt and know that women are walking around being triggered 
yeah. by their stirs and reflexively lifting their leg without intention. Right. What the method is designed to do is allowing you to say, I'm going to lift my leg right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lift my leg up to 30 degrees. And that's my point. That's my boundary. Uh, You know what? I feel great at 90. Yeah. I am intentionally lifting my leg and this is coming from my self-generated power. This is not because somebody hit me and triggered me for my leg to go up. I did this from my power. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that point of awareness too, right. That you're talking about. I think awareness is where all of the power lies. Cause I, I mean, I still am reactive, but I'm, I was formerly a much more reactive person. Like you're talking about, I can so relate to the pharmacy story and all right. It's just like, you're triggered and you explode. And that was, you know, it's, it's learned behavior from our pain or our suffering or whatever happens. But like you're saying, like the power to be able to sit, right. And, and be like, Ooh, where is this coming from? From what unresolved stuff do I need to take care of? It's really like the most powerful thing we can do for ourselves. And so my question is for you, for anyone listening, who's really at the beginning of their journey and they're listening and they want to really step in and own their power. How do you go, right? You have five steps, but how do you really start? Is it just starting with awareness so that we can like be aware of our reactions or like, how do we start at the most basic level? Yeah. I want to give them, I want to give your listeners the most potent, powerful step of it all. And I don't want to get even, I don't want them to start at the entry point. I want them to get the most potent thing and the most potent thing you can do for your life right now in this moment is when you are stirred and triggered is to sit. Mm. I don't care if it's 20 seconds. I don't care if it's two minutes Mm. or two days. When you can sit in the discomfort of what is coming up within you, you lessen the power of the charge that is living in you. Mm. It's big and momentous and it ha- it needs to be released. Yeah. When we allow it to sit within us, it lessens its stronghold mm. and its ability to create chaos. Mm. When we offload it, we only, we run, we can run, but we can't hide. It will catch up with us. It'll just go to the next situation with the next person, with the next relationship. We will never actively deal with it. But when we sit, I always say on the other side of the sit, there are gifts. Mm. There are things, universal gifts that are given to people that are willing to sit with themselves. I don't know how to prove this. I would hope a physicist will eventually be able to, uh, you know, prove this in the quantum realm. But I know that when you sit with your stuff and do not react outwardly and observe what is just neutrally just being like, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like, okay. My only job, my only job. And in the method, there are sit mantras like one, uh, this is an inappropriate one, but it's one that works for me when I'm stirring and I'm crazy and I'm going, I, I say to myself, you better sit, bitch. You better sit. <laughs> You better, yes. you better sit, bitch. You are cruising for a bruise and you know where this ends up. <laughs> yeah. You know, you are on a war torn path. Like you're going to have dead emotional bodies 
where you're going to have to play cleanup and feel guilt and shame because you just ripped people's heads off because you couldn't take that time. So what I, what I would want someone to try to practice and observe is the power of the sit and allow themselves, give themselves the gift of the sit themselves. They're not sitting for their boss. They're not sitting for their husband. They're not sitting for their, you know, jerk kids. They're not sitting because that person was right. The sit is not, you know, a surrender of guilt or a a denial of that person's thing. It's, I am going to surrender to, to allowing myself to feel this Mm. So I can actually move through this. Yeah, absolutely. And actually look at what's going on because there is a part of me that is responding to what I think you are saying. And that part of me needs to heal. If you sat here and said, Tina Marie, you're an orange. What would I say? I'd be like, uh, yeah, you, you, you really got me. You really, yeah, you, you pegged me. I'd be like, yeah, it's benign to me. Right. But yeah. if somebody said, Tina Marie, you know what? You are, um, every Instagram post you ever make is completely grammatically incorrect and you sound so stupid. But to somebody that is fearing that they're orange mm-hmm. is going to have a similar charge. Yeah. Now, someone that is great and never, whatever, writes nicely and is, you know, properly trained, they're going to be like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, those misspellings. Like, yeah. it's going to have a different charge. Right. It's based upon our hardwiring and our narratives. And when we sit, we allow those narratives to be illuminated and we're able to, to see possibly where we got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Meaning I'm going to hold space. Like sometimes when I, when I'm sitting, I'll say to myself, Tim, I know you think you know everything about this. And I know you think you're right. I know you think you have all of the information to assess that this person is a jerk or whatever they are, or this person wronged you. I know you think that, but I need you to hold space for 2% chance that there's something else here. There's something in you. Can you, Tina Marie, do you respect yourself enough? I, I say this to myself. Do you respect yourself enough to, to hold space for that 2% of the possibility? Do you, are, are you so steadfast in offending yourself by these thoughts? You, you, need, to be, if you need to be right on this? Or are you, are you willing to open up the possibility that maybe there's something that is going on within you that is causing such turmoil, that it's not them, that maybe there's something going on. Are you, will you give yourself the respect to sit? Sitting yeah. is never for anyone else. Yeah. Mm. So beautiful. It's for it's self. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's powerful. It's very powerful. powerful. I love I, it. It's the most potent it's, one. I'm like, yeah. you want to change your world? You got to sit. And it's the hardest. It is. It's, yeah. It, it is the hardest. Um, and that's why I say, if you can do it for 10 seconds, if you can do it for a minute, you are just exercising muscle that will become 
it'll gain and yeah. you'll be able to see the reward. So when I started sitting, I would like grit my teeth and I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to yes. die. And I would just be like, oh, like, like really having to like painfully sit through it and, and, and just not react. And then out of the, like, I cannot tell you how many stories when I would surrender to the sit, oh girl, was that an ego? Like your ego gets bruised when you realize it was all you. Well, and I, that's why I love your concept too, right? Of the doppelganger. Cause it's like that yeah. part of us isn't the real part of ourselves, right? Ooh. It's just like this bullshit part of ourselves, but because it responds from, right? Like pain and trigger. And actually, you know, um, Joe Dispenza talks about it in his book to becoming supernatural about like that voice, right. That we're talking about. And I love the way he described it as well, which is how you're describing it too, where he's like, it's interesting because when you think of that voice, right, it, it does, it's another, it's not like your true self, self is in there, right? Like yeah. your yeah. true self is in there and it clearly it's in there because you know that voice, right? That voice isn't telling you the truth. It's not living in authenticity. It's living in ego and bullshit and all of the pain and trauma that we all carry from all of our different experiences. And so I think what you're saying, it's so powerful to just sit. And I think that's such great advice for like, that is the place to start. And even for myself, because, you know, I think this is a lifelong thing. It's like a muscle. We always need to train, you know, in Buddhism, they say, right. Enlightenment isn't a destination. It's just, it's a journey. And, um, mm-hmm. it's you, you will arrive at enlightenment and then go back. Cause we're humans who live on earth, um, <laughs> who have life, but it's about right. Like constantly like you're saying, sitting. And I just think that's really powerful. And I'm certainly going to, I'm going to do this <laughs> I'm so forward happy. from and, this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrate your sit too. Like, yeah. even if it's like, oh, I was able to do five minutes, like mm-hmm. celebrate it and allow it. It's like, oh yeah, I normally, I know what I would have done. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even sit with a, an email yeah. that you feel like you need to write, right right now, because yeah, you want no. to feel something. You just, if, if it needs um, uh, there, I, there's this quote in A Course in Miracles, and it, mm. it, it always resonates with this. Those who are certain can afford to wait. Mm. That is so beautiful. So when I think of that, and I think those who are certain can afford to wait. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I, maybe I'm not certain about this circumstance. Maybe I'm not, no, no, no. but can I afford to wait? for the truth. Because mm-hmm. if I know I'm being served, those who are certain, I know this is my ego because yeah, yeah, I can afford to wait. Those yeah. who are certain can afford to wait. Absolutely. And in that process, you have this revelation. And then like, sometimes like I, I'll, I'll go there in my mind and it will be off the walls bonkers. Like I will think that you thought this da, 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 and you're like, wait, how did you get there? Like you'll hear the, uh, it's just so disconnected because I just abused myself in my mind with my doppelganger just saying things. And they're like, wait, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's not because of dismissiveness. It was my ego attached all of these little cords to verify that in which yeah. I was afraid of. Right. Yeah. So I linked to you and linked all of this facts. 
I call it copy and paste. <laughs> I copied and pasted from my past and said, hey, it's one of those situations, Tina Marie. You remember that from when you were five, when that teacher did that mm -hmm. to you. It's, it's just like this. Here, let me, let me give you all of the weaponry, all of the information, all of the everything that you're going to need to do in this here. And it's your yep. brain trying to like preload you with, with a solution. Yeah. And those solutions are no longer good and they're causing you pain. Yeah. And women are sick. They're tired. They're, they're yeah. exhausted from themselves. Yeah. Be not because somebody's doing something to them. It's them. They're, they're sick of themselves because they don't know their power and they're learning it and they're getting it in fractions. And when, when they embody that, they can do and they could do anything. And when they start getting that little baby bits, it's not, it, it's, it's literally magic in the mundane. Yeah. It's at the grocery store. It's at the checkout line when they say your insurance card. It's like, we have these moments where we experience those things. It's not, it's not on our wedding day. It yeah. can be, but it's every day that we have these opportunities to, to shift and, and create the life that we want because all of those things keep us from our true nature because the time and the duration that our doppelganger is, is narrating, what we are trying to do is we're trying to take back that, the amount of time that it's there. We're never going to be without it. We're just trying to limit it. It's screen time. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And I think, you know, I, I feel like you just kind of hit the nail on the head with something, at least for me, which is like the amount of time we spend energy on that. Think about what we could do. I know we're able to free up that time. Yeah. Like yeah. it's unbelievable that like the value we could create in our lives and our families' lives and our, in our country and our planet, you know, like what we could actually channel, channel that energy in. And then also just remove that sort of turmoil, the time, that exhaustion that comes from the amount of energy spent on that. I think it's like, it's massive. So it's like not only empowering in the way that you can then make choices, active choices, but it's empowering because you have this energy that you get back. Amen. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Free up my, 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 my source, my source yeah. energy. I'm not, I'm no, I, cause I describe it as like, imagine I'm a Ford F-150. I'm about to drive up. I'm driving in the gas station and there I go. I put the pump in or I put the gas in the pump. I take the pump out. I put it in the gas tank. I go into the store and I pay $40 for my gas. I get into my car and little did I know that some little punk kid was siphoning all of my gas. <laughs> yes. And I drove off assuming I'm on a, on a, you know, full tank of gas, but I had no idea how this yeah. situation, this circumstance, this interaction, this anything was actually siphoning my energy supply. And there I go a mile down the road and I'm on E. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. on emotional E. Yeah. So uh, how often are our women and our moms and our mothers feeling that pressure of running yeah. on E? They're yeah, like it's so true. It, they're it's, just exhausted. And 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 I get it. 
yeah. I'm like, girl, I feel you. I know that world. I, 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 it's not because they're complaining. It's not because they're dramatic. It really is absolute turmoil yeah. that is chaos. Right. So having the reverence for that space, like holding space for women that are that's and getting real about what's really going on. Not my husband doesn't clean the dishes, not my kid gets bad grades. I mean, when we talk heart to heart, soul to soul with other women about the real narrative, that's when we can really break this mold. And then I see it every day. I see it where women you know, just break it. They break the story. They break the shame. They're like, yep, yep, I'm a shitty mom. Yep, I (laughs) forgot the school lunch. Or, yep, like, I'm just not that, that, whatever it is, where they could normally never sit with their orangeness. Yeah. They're like, I'm not orange, I'm purple. They could never sit with that. But when they own it and they're like, yeah, sometimes I get a little I get a little orange and sometimes like, yeah, I don't like, I don't love that about myself, but you know, I'm human. And, and yeah, that is a part of my, my 50 shades of Tina Marie. This is <laughs> yes. a part of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yes. As you know, thank you. Thank you for everything you've shared with us today. It's just so beautiful and enlightening and empowering and encouraging. And, you know, I just, before we wrap up, I just have one more question for you, which is, do you have anything, you know, we're heading into a new year. Do you have anything you want to leave our listeners with, or if there's anything else you'd like to share before we head into our wrap up questions of just something, you know, this time of year, right? It's like, we start thinking about resolutions and we start thinking about, you know, what we want to leave behind and and what we want to bring into our life. Do you have any tips or encouragement for any women going into this new year? Yes. My tip is you are exactly, exactly, fundamentally designed to be where you are at this exact moment. Yeah. That if God or Hashem or the universe or source or aliens or the Big Bang, whatever you believe, dropped a iPhone pin on your life's trajectory, it would be where you are in what situation you're in at this exact moment. Trust the process. It may be shitty. It may be daunting. It may be amazing. It may be scary. It may be whatever, but your soul came here to evolve and it asked to be big and it asked to grow and your set of circumstances are exactly designed for you. And when you are able to just trust the process, even when it's shitty, your life will, will, it'll, it it just, it gains momentum and it releases that, that, um, what is it? The resistance Mm. when we trust the process. So any woman listening, going in, trust the process. It's icky. It's gross. You're going to feel funky, but just know that every part of it is a part of the grand total. And then you're exactly where you need to be. Like God, you're, you're, you're right on track, baby. You're doing good. You're, you're amazing. You're right there. See, God said exactly this point. You're, you're right on track, even when it doesn't feel like it. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, um, I'm excited to ask you these final three kind of quick wrap-up questions we ask all of our guests. Uh, the first one is, 
on a daily basis. How do you take care of yourself? What does your daily self-care like routine or non-negotiables look like for you? Okay. So I don't actually have non-negotiables that are, I am, uh, my personality is I'm dormant or I, I hibernate and then I'm out, mm. hibernate and go out. So if I'm eating well, I'm eating well for a duration and then I'm ordering chicken fingers and French fries, you know, I'm, I'm black or white. So when I am in the flow and I'm doing what I'm doing, like my current out project is I've been painting every day for the past two weeks and I love it. I have never painted a day in my life. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I am jamming out and getting so excited. So I am not an artist by any means, but I feel so good when I'm doing it. And it's been my therapy. Um, one other thing that I could, like, I get asked this, uh, what is one thing you could not live without? Mm. And it would be my audiobook collection. I would not want to live with, I, I would be crushed if I lost my, my audiobooks because they are my grounders. They're my tetherers. They're the things when I, if I'm putting on my makeup, if I'm driving in the car with my kids, if I'm it, like casually, or if I'm in a circumstance where I'm like, okay, let, let me go back. Let me, let me go back to center. I go back to my audiobooks. I listen to untethered soul, a return to love, uh, broken open by Elizabeth Lesser. Those are three that are tried and true when, you know, there's just an unsettling feeling or whatever. It's, it's one of my beautiful coping skills that are effective that don't in drug or involve drugs, alcohol, or hurting people. So I, it, that's my, my, that's my medicine. I love that. Love you that. Actually, I was going to say, yeah. Let Erica, ask our final question because you actually just answered two of our, our final questions. So the second one was, do you have a book recommendation? That's <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah that's I, I have to go with my three because yeah. I can't pick. No, that's Soul by Michael Singer, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, and Elizabeth Lesser's broken open. So mm. if somebody's having a challenging time and they're, they're suffering and they're really like, it, it, it's in a, it's a book about acute circumstances like, um, you know, diagnoses of illness or divorces and, and big acute mm. things and how people, uh, you know, suck the juice out of that and are able to transform. And you, you're just like, you can't believe that these people were able to shift those things. And they apply a lot of the shifter method. And what you were saying before about um, Buddhism and, and all of these things, it's all same, same, but different. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. just all the way that our flavoring um, allows it to flow out. And we're yeah. all talking about the same thing because it's universal. It's universal language and it's a universal thing. It's all Absolutely. coming back and, and it's our job to sprinkle it with our seasoning and our yeah. version of, of that thing. Um, so yeah. if, if somebody's going through something acute, definitely uh, broken open is something just really, it just allows you to see other people's triumphant stories and how they were able to do it even in their darkest hours. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing those. And our last question that we ask everyone is, what does being courageous mean to you? Oh, just courageous. Um, 
doing the method, really. It is the bravest work I've ever done. It is not for the faint of heart, and it's not because it's mine. You could take the, the method out of it, but sitting with my narratives in my mind, let's just take the, the shift store method out of this, sitting with my own fears is the bravest work that I've ever done. It is harder, like I, I would, some of the time I would rather run into a burning building because it is, that is less daunting than sitting in the seat of myself, of yes. facing that, those rooms of yeah. ugliness that I just do not want to open. And yeah. when I have to sit there and look at that and own that part and it's like, oh girl, like that is that orange, you don't want to be that, like that thing that is the most courageous work that I can do and and doing that with and showing that with my children and it's really that's you know you can run into a building with adrenaline but not not much adrenaline is needed to face your fear like it, it, it it's pure um choice so beautiful Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all of that again. Thank you for being here today. Um, if anyone wants to find you, do your method, tell us all the things. Where can everyone find you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm super excited. Um, when I wrote the book, I was so pumped. It's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. It's called The Shipster Method. And the book is amazing because it's a workbook and it really intros the, uh, the method and how to apply it. But for me, I think the most impactful way is really through storytelling and getting in there and sharing real life experiences because there's a difference between knowing something intellectually versus experientially. So I like to storytell. So I did an online course and that's coming out in a month. So the Shift Store Method online course will be available. So I hope you guys, if you guys want to sign up for that, please do. If not, you can find me on at Tina Marie Clark um, on Instagram and uh, the Shift Store Method on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. Oh,